0: You are listening to the Forgotten News Podcast.
1: But before we begin, here are a couple of other podcasts that we think you should try. A
0: suspicious suicide.
1: A 54-year-old cold case.
0: A 17-year-old girl who disappeared and whose stepfather was just released from jail.
1: A stabbing in a college party that challenged social and political boundaries.
0: A false confession that nearly landed a standout college football player in jail for the rest of his life.
1: These are the cases we cover on Status Pending, a monthly three-part look into cases which are open, unresolved, or prematurely closed.
0: We bring voices of the victims, their families, and others with expert knowledge of the cases we cover, with the hopes that continuing to shine light on the questions surrounding these cases might one day bring closure.
1: Join us every month for a new chapter in our podcast. Subscribe to Status Pending wherever you listen.
0: For more information, including ways to contact us about future cases you think we should cover, visit statuspending.podbean.com.
2: that gives you the flavor. Tom Brady. thrown for over 60,000 yards, the most playoff victories, the most Super Bowls, the most Super Bowl MVPs. He is not the greatest of all time.
1: That brings the energy. Shall I quote, the earth is flat, close quote. The earth is round. That isn't about this, this or that. Boom, boom. It ain't this or that.
2: Charles Barkley 1994 you stole two home games in the western conference semifinals against the rockets your team blows it in seven one year later up three
1: games to one two games at home and you blow that too then you've come to the right place i am that man your man the illustrious tour guy cole johnson cole sports
0: on cole sports with a z Welcome to the Forgotten
1: News Podcast. This is your window to hear true stories from long ago. Stories that once made headlines. Stories that people thought would be unforgettable.
3: Yet those stories were soon lost in the sands of time or were buried deep in the dustbin of history. In this podcast, we shake off the sand and dust from those stories and share them here with you. As fresh as the day they were first told. And now, here's your
0: hosts.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Welcome to episode number 24 of the Forgotten News Podcast.
1: My name is Jim. I'm
0: Kit, and I'm here too. <laughs> Welcome to our first episode of 2019. And with that in mind, Happy New Year, everyone! Woohoo!
1: Happy New Year! And we want you to know that we have a lot of great plans for this podcast in the year 2019. Our biggest goal, basically, our New Year's resolution, is to be full of surprises. Expect the unexpected. I promise you won't want to miss anything. So, be sure to keep listening. We are going to be telling some great stories, including the one on this episode.
0: So, listeners, although this episode is being released very close to New Year's Day, it will not have a New Year's theme, if that is what you were expecting.
1: (laughs) No. This is definitely not your typical New Year's story. I don't even know how to describe it. However, there is still a connection
0: of sorts because our featured story begins exactly 126 years ago this week.
1: I wish I could say that it is a lighthearted story because partially it is. But it's also weird and creepy. So maybe it would be better if I just asked Kit to get the ball rolling by giving our listeners a heads up about anything that might possibly be unsettling for some members of our audience.
0: Warning. This episode will feature the story of a group of women in New York city in 1893 who formed an organization that was dedicated to saving cats by extinguishing their lives on earth. The story will be told entirely as it was reported at the time. But if you think that hearing this story could possibly cause you to have a negative emotional reaction, might not be something you should listen to. In addition, the story that is being featured is definitely not recommended for children since it could be upsetting or even frightening to young ears. Parental discretion is strongly advised.
1: Now, before we move on to our story, I am just going to take a hot second to let our listeners know that this episode will include an installment of our popular segment, Police Blotter and Court News, and that there will also be a separate warning at that time in regard to any subject matter in the segment that might be distressing to some of our listeners.
0: And now, with all of that having been said, on with the show. Our story begins on a cold winter night, many decades ago, and here it is,
3: exactly as reported in the news at the time. December 31st, 1893. The headline on the front page of the New York World declared, The Midnight Band of Mercy. Did you ever hear of such crazy lot of cranks as these deluded women? Unquote. The headline was followed by an article written by Nellie Bly, the famous investigative reporter. The article contained an interview with Mrs. Grace Divide, president of the Midnight Band of Mercy. However, the first public mention of this crew of serial killers occurred on June thirtieth, 1893, when the New York Times reported a conversation with Mrs. Divide, in which she said that the organization had exterminated over 8,000 cats over the previous four years. She was defending a member who had just been arrested for throwing a freshly killed cat in front of a butcher shop in Brooklyn. The butcher objected. Mrs. Divide objected to the butcher's objection on the basis that, quote, she had a perfect right to throw the cat there, unquote. Mrs. Divide then stated that it was up to the city to pick up the carcasses, quote, why there was a time we used to put the dead cats in the best parts of Fifth Avenue, because we knew they would be taken away from there quickly, unquote the organization was going around the city streets, murdering cats by the thousands. In the fall of 1893, a concerned citizen told policeman Joseph Connolly that he saw Sarah Edwards using chloroform to kill a cat near 135th Street. Officer Connolly requested Sarah to open her basket, and inside he saw five dead cats. Sarah said she was committing an act of mercy by luring the cats with catnip and killing any that she believed would only starve or freeze to death or be tortured on the streets. She further stated that the Midnight Band of Mercy, her organization of about twenty women and one man, had killed more than three thousand street cats that had all been ignored by the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, commonly known as the SPCA. She even insisted that the SPCA gave the Midnight Band of Mercy permission to dispose of the stray cat population of New York City. Policeman Connolly arrested her, explaining that there was an ordinance against carrying dead animals through the streets and that, in any event, she had no right to randomly kill cats. Sarah disagreed, telling him, quote, I know my business. Unquote. Later, in response to an inquiry by the police, the SPCA had denied giving her or her organization permission to kill felines, and instead declared that she was simply, quote, gratifying a mania for slaughter, unquote. Sarah was arrested and charged with five counts of animal cruelty, and was soon brought to trial in Harlem Police Court with the infamous basket she was frustrated that the forces of law and order did not appreciate the nobility of her work she commented to a reporter from the new york times quote monday i chloroformed 19 cats tuesday 10 yesterday 18 on the last day of july i chloroformed 53 cats during the last three years, I have painlessly put out of the way over 3,000 suffering animals, which certainly would have died of starvation had I not done so. Unquote. However, Sarah did have just enough self-awareness to realize that her actions were, shall we say, unconventional. But the thing that Sarah Edwards and the rest of her deadly organization did not seem to understand was one specific fact that made them appear both ridiculous and, frankly, deranged. Specifically, that their love for cats seemed to be expressed only by the act of killing them. And for that reason alone, Sarah's actions were not going to be easy to defend. But, somehow, she ended up being represented by Abraham Hummel of the law firm Howe & Hummel. This was one of the top law firms in New York, and they specialized in criminal defense. The partners had very often handled cases that seemed impossible to win. Yet, they usually found a way to do so. It is unknown whether Sarah contacted Abe Hummel or whether he reached out to her because sometimes he would take cases at no charge, if the case looked like it would generate some free publicity. A half-dozen young lawyers from the firm were seated behind the five-foot-tall Hummel, as spectators in the courtroom. They undoubtedly thought this case would be a slam dunk for their boss, so they were eager to watch and learn. The star witness was policeman Connolly. He surprised observers by having very little trouble responding to Hummel's implied argument that the stray cats of New York were better off dead.
0: Was the cat emaciated? I don't know. Do you understand what I mean? No, sir, I don't know what you mean. Well, was it thin,
3: like a vagrant? Well, it was a good-sized cat, sir, very good size. It was not a good moment for the defense. Hummel had made the rookie mistake of asking a question for which he did not know the answer. Hummel stumbled again when he questioned the veterinarian who had performed the autopsy on the cat that Connolly had brought in. The vet testified that, before the murder of the cat, in Sarah's basket, the animal had been fat and healthy with a stomach full of potatoes. Hummel pounced after hearing this answer. He asked the vet,
1: Is it not a fact that cats only eat potatoes when they are at the point of starvation?
3: Well, no, said the doctor. He had fed potatoes to many a cat. Hummel clarified,
1: I mean cats born in this country.
3: The doctor chuckled, then said, I refer to good American cats. Sarah Edwards took the stand in her own defense. The judge rejected her request to be allowed to kill a cat in court to show just how merciful that it really was. But she was permitted to bring in the infamous basket. And from this basket, she produced what Hummel called Exhibit A. Specifically, a dead cat that she had personally chloroformed into non-existence. Sarah held up the cat and spoke to the court with the self-assurance of a professor of anatomy. Quote, See what a calm, peaceful look is on its little face? There was no pain there. Unquote. The judge knew his business. Sarah was found guilty of the cruel extermination of cats and was fined ten dollars. He then ordered the Midnight Band of Mercy to stop murdering the cats of New York. The SPCA announced that the verdict was a warning to the community that, cat-killing is against the laws of the state, unquote. A reporter from the New York Times visited Sarah's new apartment at 212 West 32nd Street, not long after the verdict. The reporter said that it was filled with many live cats and pictures of cats. Sarah explained that she had been on her way to 262 West 136th Street to pick up a sick cat from Mrs. G. Smock when she saw a starving kitten running within a vacant lot. She then recalled what happened next. I stooped down and did what, under the circumstances, was the most humane thing to do. I chloroformed it and placed it in my basket. Then I was arrested and locked up in prison. Unquote. Sarah further explained that she and the other women did not get pleasure from the exterminations. She then said that they would comply with the order of the judge and stop killing cats within the jurisdiction of the court. However, they would continue chloroforming cats in the suburbs and other areas surrounding the city. She also proposed the creation of a public pound for cats, where kindly women and girls would be appointed as cat-catchers. In December 1893, reporter Nellie Bly tracked down Grace Divide, the founder and president of the Midnight Band of Mercy, in a dirty room in a tenement building, after spending several days searching for her. According to the resulting interview, Mrs. Divide was living like a pauper and dressed like a beggar. Grace explained their procedures. The women would wear old clothes and carry airtight baskets lined with oilcloth and sponges saturated in chloroform. They would go into the slums and pour catnip on the ground to attract the cats, and then put the cats in the baskets and shut the lids. In this manner, the women would kill up to fifty cats a night. Sometimes, she said, they even killed the pet cats of their friends. Quote, the basket would shake. Kitty was trying to escape. Our members would then say, Hush, Kitty, you are going to Jesus. Hush, Kitty, your soul is going to the Lord. Kitty has gone to God. Amen. Grace also told Nellie that the women bought their chloroform for $2.20 a bottle from a druggist in the Lower East Side, and that one bottle could kill 60 cats it is unclear whatever became of Sarah Edwards. However, in 1896, Grace Divide was a member of the Women's Rescue League at 24 Union Square. She had reportedly showed up at the office of the League in hope of finding shelter because she was without any means of support and needed help to get back on her feet. This was an organization that was formed to help young women get out of prostitution. However, although Grace was obviously not in that category of women, she was given one of their rooms, rent-free, on condition of doing work for the W.R.L., until she could get her life back together. Hopefully, that work did not involve any midnight raids of mercy.
0: And that is the end of our story. Man, that was crazy! It's hard to believe that really happened, but it did. However, those women, their hearts were in the right place. The Stray Cats of New York did not have an easy life in the 1890s. Disease and brutality was an everyday occurrence for nearly all of them. So it's easy to see why those women thought they were doing
1: good. I'll tell you, Kit. That is truly the story behind the story, in a nutshell. And, in a way, you've totally summarized the strategy of Abraham Hummel, the defense lawyer, when the women were being prosecuted. Basically, his argument was that these ladies were not doing any cruelty to animals because these cats were in such bad shape that they were better off being dead. So... No crime had been committed. But personally, I was much more surprised by the fact that the law firm of Howe & Hummel was even in this case at all. They were very infamous lawyers in the late 19th century because they typically represented hardened criminals and con artists. I can only assume it was for the free publicity. Although these women were considered so nutty, at the time that I can't imagine why Abe Hummel thought that anything good would come out of representing them. And worst of all, his whole defense argument really ended up blowing up in his face. By the way, I did a lot of digging into newspapers from the time for the story of the Midnight Band of Mercy, and I was very surprised that I could find no article in any newspaper that really described these women, as far as age range, background, or anything else. So, I tried to find them in the records of the U.S. Census, but they weren't in any census for any year that I looked at. Now, historically, that is something that happens from time to time with some people. They just never show up in any census, but it's very rare. Oh, one more thing. When I was researching, I discovered that in the year 2004, a novel was published with the title, The Midnight Band of Mercy. It revolved around a fictional story that these women were actually part of evil experiments by a secret organization to create a race of superhumans. Well, anyway, all of that is just my little addendum to the entire story of the Midnight Band of Mercy. The whole story is pretty wild, and it's a story that you are unlikely to hear, except on this podcast. However, if you are a regular listener to the show... Well, you already know that. (laughs)
0: Now, before we move on, we want to give an enormous thanks to our wonderful narrator and the other guest voices on the featured story. So take a bow and tell our listeners all about yourself.
3: Julie Halverson, creator of 19 Nocturne Boulevard and Atomic Julie's Galactic Bedtime Stories available at 19NocturneBoulevard.com, that's 19 Nocturne Boulevard, and through the RSS feed at 19 com. that's 19 spelled out.
0: I'm J.D. Sutter, founder of Porchlight Family Media, a production studio in Phoenix, Arizona, where we produce family-friendly podcasts and other audio programming.
1: Kieran Byrne is a freelance voice actor
0: who holds a degree in journalism and loves everything audio. He spends most of his time writing or listening to podcasts. Hailing from Ireland, the land of potatoes and mythological creatures, he draws inspiration from the old Celtic myths and legends, creating a vivid imagination which can only be described as weird and wonderful. Studying music from a young age, a dynamic vocal range allows for some very interesting voices, which I'm sure you'll hear in a production near you soon. We would like to invite any listeners who have anything to advertise to do it with us. For example, it can be a business, an organization, a product, a service, or an event that you want or need people to know about. So just send us an email and make an offer, ForgottenNewsPodcast at gmail.com, and together let's see what we can do. And now, listeners, we will move on to the latest edition of our ongoing and very popular segment, Police Blotter and Court News, in which we bring you stories of small-time crooks and other random folks who, for one reason or another, ended up in the teeth of the justice system a century or more ago. And this particular Police Blotter segment will be narrated for you exactly as it was written in a column published 149 years ago this month on January 17, 1870 in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. But as usual, before we begin, we will give you a warning. This segment will contain mentions of theft, drunkenness, prostitution, and violence. So if you think that hearing about any of those things could possibly cause you to have a negative emotional reaction, then perhaps this segment might not be something that you should listen to. So just skip ahead roughly eight minutes or so, and the segment will be over. And as far as children listening, we will just say, you very probably do not want them to listen. So parental discretion is advised. Finally, keep in mind that whenever you hear about money in the segment that $1 in 1870 is equivalent to approximately $20 in the present day. And for most ordinary people, one dollar would have been a day's pay. And with all of that having been said, here we go. Police blotter and court news. Municipal
2: Court, Cleveland, Ohio, January 17th, 1870.
1: Water on the court. Water on the court.
2: Erastus Peck, Annie Dunn, Sophie Becker and Pat Quinlan were charged with being drunk in public. They were each fined by dollars and court costs. Ellen Kern was charged with operating a house of prostitution. Her case was continued. Henry Kern and Hattie Wall were charged with residing in a house of prostitution, and Eugene O'Brien was charged with visiting the same house. Each of their cases were continued. About a week ago, a good-looking girl, 16 years of age, came to the city from an interior town of this state and immediately took up her abode in a house of prostitution she thereupon entered upon the life of a harlot, with an enthusiasm rarely known. The excitement and wickedness of such an existence seemed to have a fascination for her, and this, together with her personal charms, gave her, in a remarkably short space of time, a reputation among a certain class of people, which none with the most abandoned would desire." On Monday, her friends communicated to the police their fears that she had entered some house of ill fame, and so an officer was detailed to look for her. After a day of searching, he found her in the notorious brothel kept by Ellen Curran and took her to the central police station. There, several of the police talked to her and endeavored to persuade her to renounce the life she had begun. However, those kind words and good advice seemed to have no effect upon her. Instead, she declared that she loved her new life, and she was determined to lead it. Upon her refusal to go to the house of some relatives who live in the city, she was locked in the jail, marching within the dismal enclosure with the utmost coolness and resignation, exhibiting a hardihood and disregard of disgrace which shocked even the officers accustomed to daily encounters with hardened characters. Tuesday morning, she was visited by some relatives, who talked with her for a long time with tears in their eyes. The details of that conversation are not known, but the girl finally consented to go with them, and it is earnestly hoped that she may yet reform. James Mulholland was charged with abusing family. He was fined $5 and court costs. C.W. Clark was charged with being a suspicious person. The judge waived fine and court costs on condition that he leave the city within 12 hours. Kate Hazlitt was charged with being a common prostitute. She was sentenced to the workhouse for 60 days. John and Ewan Davis were charged with creating a public disturbance by fighting. They were fined $5 and court costs. John Walkman was fined $5 and Joseph Fraley were fined $4 and costs for encouraging this fight. Mary and August Piser were charged with habitual disturbance and were sentenced to the workhouse for 60 days. Frank Travers and George Weld were charged with petty larceny for stealing a quantity of rope. They were fined $5 in court costs and sent to jail for 15 days. Fred Schleiger was fined $15 in costs and sentenced to 15 days in jail for stealing various articles from a grocery store. George Nagel was charged with having stolen two bundles of shingles. The judge apparently believed his claim that the charge was the result of a misunderstanding, so waived any fine, but required him to pay court costs. Patrick Dempsey was charged with destruction of property for smashing window glass. He was fined one dollar and court costs. James Bowser was charged with assault on Amanda Curtis. He was fined $10 and court costs. John Byrd, the barber, was charged with cutting a white boy with a razor. His case was continued. Mike Keeley was charged with having embezzled money from the J.O. Beck Company. He was fined $1 and court costs. Update on February tenth, eighteen seventy, the case against John Bird was transferred by the municipal court to the county court of common pleas. He was indicted the next day by the grand jury on the charge of cutting a boy with intent to wound. The case arose from an incident on the evening of January twelfth, in which Bird allegedly slashed a boy with a razor across his abdomen. The boy, Charles Lysing is employed as an apprentice at a barber shop in which Bird is employed as a barber. Lysing had been repeatedly badgering Bird that day until Bird became enraged. Bird is a black man and Lysing is white. On February 24th, Bird was found not guilty.
1: The court is adjourned.
0: And that brings us to the end of the police blotter and court news of January 17th, 1870. And now we would like to thank our guest narrator and the other voices for the police blotter and court news segment. So take a bow and tell our listeners a little about yourself. This is Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss. I have a podcast that
2: is about understanding people at the heart of it. I generally look at people from the perspective of having been a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, so I understand life on either side of the locked doors, whether those doors are prison doors or hospital doors. But a lot of times, the rabbit holes happen and the topics wander. So come check me out at IWB Podcast. Aaron
0: Fleming, the host of the Red Rumb Blonde Podcast.
1: Hello, I am Kay Thomas Zipperer. I am a voice actor and the host of the No Redeeming Qualities podcast. You can find more of me and my work
3: at nrqpodcast.com.
0: Speaking of saying thank you, we would now like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. And we would also like to give a final thanks to the guest voices on this
1: episode. Many, many thanks, everyone.
0: And by the way, listeners, we would very much like to be able to tell police splatter stories from the 19th century newspapers of your city or town. So if you have the time and ability, just send it to us by email and we promise to use it as soon as we can. The address is... Forgotten News Podcast at gmail.com.
1: And now, listeners, if you are a fan of this podcast, we would truly appreciate if you would please take a moment of your time and go to iTunes, also known as Apple Podcasts, and then rate, review, and subscribe to the Forgotten News Podcast.
0: So, thanks in advance for your ratings and reviews.
1: And as always, listeners, we would love to hear your comments, opinions, ideas, thoughts, and anything else that you might like to say in regard to this episode or any past episode or about the show in general.
0: So with that in mind, our email address is ForgottenNewsPodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to type that as all one word. There are no hyphens, dashes, or underscores.
1: We are also on Facebook and Twitter. Just go to the search bar and type the three words, Forgotten News Podcast, and you'll find it. But on Twitter, our handle is at News Forgotten, not Forgotten News. Please feel
0: free to use any of those methods to interact with us.
1: We really sincerely like hearing from our listeners.
0: If any of our listeners would like to follow or contact me on Twitter, my handle is at Kitcaren, spelled K-I-T-C-A-R-E-N, as if it were all one word. By the way, listeners, let me tell you something. Jim has nearly 2,000 followers on Twitter. I don't even have 100. What's up with that? I'm starting to get an inferiority complex. (laughs) Hey, come on. Make it your New Year's resolution to follow me on Twitter. Just do it. Now. That's right. You heard me. I said now. And after you do that... be sure to check out my new side gig podcast, Whispered True Stories. You will hear me tell mysteries and stories of true crime, but entirely in Whisper. You can find it on nearly every podcatcher and listening app in the universe. Whispered True Stories.
1: Finally, we will, as usual, give a shout out to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for the music used on this episode, and Freesound.org for the sound effects. We have included specific credits for both Kevin McLeod and Freesound.org in the show notes.
0: Well, I think that's pretty much everything for this episode of the podcast. So, with that being said, goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.
1: And have a spectacular 2019. Thank
3: you for listening to the Forgotten News Podcast. You will now be returned back to the present day, and we hope that we can count on you to join us for our next episode.
0: you will depend a great deal on what you bring to the new year.